Hello and welcome to another episode with Kate Nichols, who's going to give us a little bit more of an update on what's been going on. Kate, you've been to a few meetings, obviously the spring statement at the end of last month, just to settle slightly on that. Can you tell us a little bit more about perhaps what was in that spring statement that might be helpful as we kind of move on and, and look to the future? Yes, thank you. Well, we've had quite a busy couple of weeks, really, with the spring statement and the aftermath of it, picking up on, on some of the discussion points that, that emerged and also obviously dealing on an ongoing basis, on a day to day basis with the government to provide them with real time updates on the cost of living crisis and the changes in, in legislation and the changes in our cost base. So we continue to feed that in to make sure that ministers are alert to the, the rising prices, the rising costs and particularly focus on energy. But I suppose post the spring statement, all of the focus was on that, that cost of living crisis, energy bills, and of course, for our sector VAT. Um, last week, we have been starting to pick up with officials in the Treasury and also officials in other sponsoring departments, Bayes, DEFRA and DCMS, on the big measures that the Chancellor announced, which will be taken forward in consultation in the run up to the next autumn budget. So the next big budget event really coming up um, probably November. We don't have a date yet, but November is usually the date at which you will get bigger announcements about policy changes. And at the spring statement, there were some, some hints and, and discussions from the Chancellor about tax reform that he might want to take forward. Outside of that, we've obviously got an ongoing consultation on um, online sales tax, which is really critical to, to set the scene for how we might be able to make changes to business rates. The Treasury is adamant that they need to raise 26 billion from local taxation. So obviously anything an online sales tax can bring in can be used to reset and offset against any reduction in business rates bills. And clearly there we are trying to balance bricks and mortar versus clicks and mortar, make sure that um, other businesses are, are, are having to pay tax reflecting or having to pay business rates reflecting their online sales that are generated in the same way that we do. Any online sales that are made through a restaurant, a pub or a hotel are captured in business rates valuation. So we're wanting to make sure that that is a level playing field and also that we, we offset the very high levels that we've seen with a permanent discount for hospitality businesses going forward. Over and above that, there were three key areas of consultation that the Chancellor outlined where there's big benefits that we can potentially get for the sector going forward in terms of longer term tax reform. Um, firstly, there was, there was one on R&D tax credits and particularly looking at green investments. Now, R&D tax credits have always been narrowly drawn. It always favours the high tech um, AI space. It doesn't really favour investment even in tech and digital in the hospitality space. So there's a real opportunity there to make sure that the innovation and the investment that our sector is making is captured. Secondly, this reform of capital allowances and crucially there we've been pushing a try and make sure that we can, can recoup the lost hotel buildings allowance that we had previously. So there is a, an overhaul of capital allowances and we're working with the CBI in this area to be able to try and make sure that it's reflective of investment made by traditional businesses, not just the high tech ones. Um, and that when we get to the end of the super deductor, you've got an incentive to invest for growth and productivity improvements in key areas. 
And then finally, it's about reform of the apprenticeship levy. And the government signalled that they would look at reform of that levy so that the money could be used for training that would best benefit productivity improvements and growth. And so flagging that there may be an opportunity to use it for more bespoke schemes, to use it to support workers who are going through and in, in getting investment in training and particularly in our sector management and leadership where it doesn't fit traditionally into a, an apprenticeship structure. So again, working with a broad coalition with the CBI, the FSB and other sectoral trade bodies to try and make sure that, that traditional businesses and businesses like hospitality can get a benefit there um, and that we have tax reform that is meaningful, that supports our businesses going forward. So quite a big chunk of work that we're taking forward with the Treasury there. And our message to the Treasury is all about having a breathing space, headroom in order to invest, to help deliver the government's plan for jobs, but more importantly, the levelling up agenda. And so we're opening fertile dialogue there. Thank you. And at the start of this month, we also saw some of those COVID legislation falling away. What does that mean for hospitality businesses? Yes, well, again, this is a positive step forward as the government moves to, towards its plan for living with COVID. This is now the full implementation of it. Crucially, the emergency legislation, the emergency powers have ended. So government could not go back very easily and reinstate a lockdown, reinstate an economic restriction. And that's moving ahead with all three of the uh, four of the main devolved administrations, I should say. Uh, but in England, that's already happened. So that knee jerk government reaction of an increase in cases, let's close or restrict or, or, or um, otherwise control what's happening in a commercial environment, that has now fallen away. So the government would actually have to bring back legislation to the House of Commons to allow them to move forward with those kind of economic interventions. So it really does reinforce the government's central message that it is now about vaccination and pharmaceutical interventions that we manage this disease um, and, and not economic restrictions and the return of economic constraints made much less likely. Having said that, clearly there's nothing that stops the government from making advice or making statements around you would be advised not to or consumers would be advised not to. But it does mean that that uh, climate where you could immediately see a return of restrictions lifted. Second key point uh, around the living with COVID strategy um, is that you've now got new guidance coming out to individuals and to employers that put COVID on the same status as coughs, colds, flu and other sicknesses. So the general guidance now is, is, is making that no different from other um, diseases that you would have that might mean that you were not well enough to go to work. Now, clearly in our sector, food handling regulations already give some guidance around that, particularly around sickness, diarrhea, norovirus, etc. Um, but it's a welcome move that we've now moved away from COVID being a specific cause for concern, needing specific separate treatment with um, mandatory isolation periods. It is now down to a common sense conversation between the individual and their employer if they're not feeling well enough to go to work and normal sickness policies would take place. And one of the key tests now is, do you have symptoms and do you have a high temperature? And it's when the temperature goes that you are, are deemed more likely to be able to go back to work, notwithstanding that, that sort of 48 hour period if you've had a bounce of sickness and diarrhea, but normal respiratory diseases, you're back to treating it as they would a cough and a cold. Um, and you're also then able to have your own 
uh, risk assessment if you want to uh, and sickness policy if you want to rather than having to have it legislated. So a big step change over the course of this weekend in our treatment of this disease and the way we talk about this disease, it is now back graded the same as any other flu, any other cough and cold um, and treated the same way. So some big changes um, legally that will, will have an effect going forward on how we deal with this. Now, the government is moving away from weekly and monthly reports about cases, prevalence, incidence and risk. They will be produced on an ad hoc basis. That's not to say that we've got through the end of COVID. And I think probably what most operators will be seeing at the moment is still a continued high level of absences. We do have a very high level of cases, um, not just those that are reported, but the underlying incidents in the community, which the government is still going to track. And they track that through three ways. Um, people who are tested automatically because they're going into hospital. Uh, the mandatory workforce testing that is still going on in health and social care settings, uh, but also ONS sampling, both random sampling to test incidents within the community, but also wastewater and sewage water, which is testing incidents within the community. So you can have an idea of whether it's a low level baseline or whether you've suddenly got spikes to identify variants of new concern. And so the government will, on an ad hoc basis, release that information so employers know that there's a higher prevalence around. But I think you will see at the moment high levels of cases, high staff absenteeism or higher staff absenteeism, which will make it much more difficult to navigate with the underlying staff shortages we've got. And over the weekend, you saw that as EasyJet, Eurotunnel, the ferry operators, all of these tourism and travel businesses started to kick back up with higher levels of demand. You could see services creaking, including Manchester Airport and Heathrow, um, where they didn't have the staff to be able to, to match supply and demand. And I think in hospitality, we are also going to see an increase in levels of absenteeism due to sickness before this wave of COVID eases its way through the system. And just on that labour shortage point, what is UK Hospitality doing to support hospitality businesses? Obviously, it's not just the staff absences, but it's also the impact that having been closed for those two years has had on like the labour market for hospitality. So what is UK Hospitality doing in that area? Yes, and I think it is over and above that. You've clearly got underlying labour shortages across the economy as a whole. So the last labour market statistics showed that you had very low levels of unemployment below pre-COVID levels down to 3.9% and anything below 4% is effectively considered full employment. You've also got an increase in the level of vacancies across the economy as a whole. 1.3 million vacancies registered in February. That was up 9% on the previous quarter. So you've got a, a shrinking of the pool of people who are unemployed, an ever increasing number of vacancies across the system and the inescapable conclusion that we don't have enough people in the labour market to fulfil all those jobs. So in our sector in hospitality, you've got a still 9-10% vacancy rate. Across the food supply chain, you've got an 8% vacancy rate um, and that is it's remained pretty static. It's fluctuated a little bit since we reopened in August, July, August, but it hasn't changed that substantially. So we're continuing to work with the government on a range of, of measures to be able to attract people into hospitality, working with DWP in particular 
on over 50s, returners to work, those who've been made redundant from other sectors, uh, as well as recruiting younger people into the sector, but also working with DWP on Ukrainian refugees and other refugees, such as Afghan refugees. They're looking at hospitality as a route through to be able to provide jobs and supported employment. Um, over and above that, we're working on our Hospitality Rising campaign, which we hope to launch for young people to attract young people into the sector from the summer and clearly working with HIT training and Springboard on um, apprenticeships to be able to broaden the apprenticeship pool and draw people in to attract them into being a career of choice through the apprenticeship route. Um, that will take time. So finally, we're also continuing the political engagement to be able to explain to government the impact that a continued low level uh, labour shortages is having on the sector and the, the inability to operate at full capacity, full demand. Um, and as part of that work, we've given evidence to the Environment Select Committee, who will be publishing a report on labour shortages across the food supply chain um, later this week on Wednesday. So look out for that and we'll continue to work to be able to improve, reduce bureaucracy, uh, improve accessibility to the immigration regime, make it work effectively, but continue to discuss with the government measures that they might need to take in order to boost the pool of available talent. Thank you so much, Kate, for that update. Is there anything else you wanted to cover just before we finish off? I think those are the main issues that, that we're focused on at the moment in terms of trying to make sure that the industry is supported. The only other one that I would add, which is new over the course of the weekend, is obviously we've lifted the rent moratorium and the insolvency protection moratoriums. Um, that, that rent moratorium is now replaced with the arbitration process which has been set up, the new Commercial Rents Protection Bill, so that any uh, rent debt accrued during the COVID period can be protected, is subject to an arbitration process. We expect the final details of that to come out from government with the approved accreditation bodies, the guidance for adjudicators and arbitrators. Uh, we expect all of that to be published within the next two weeks and that scheme will then be open. Businesses will then have six months to enter into the negotiation period. So six months from the date the bill took effect, which is 24th of March, and we'll be providing tools and um, benchmarking material and information to help businesses access that low cost route through, through arbitration. So watch this space. There will be webinars coming out within the month. Thank you very much, Kate. And yeah, keep an eye out for newsletters and bulletins. We will keep members updated with all those informations as we receive it from government. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you, Kate, once again, and we'll speak to you again soon.